Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast. Join Corbin and Alan, along with guest hosts, as they bring their love for the cinema to discuss films from every genre and decade. Learn about the history of the film, little-known facts, and insightful explorations while they enjoy discussing your favorite film. The curtain is rising and your podcast is starting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your guide to the silver screen. Welcome listeners to the first installment in our Space Jam movie review series. Today we are reviewing the 1996 Space Jam. This is your co-host Corbin. And I'm Alan. And before we do get to Space Jam, A New Legacy, the brand new 2021 film, we are going to be reviewing the other live action Looney Tunes film, that being Looney Tunes Back in Action. That will be coming next week. I'm curious to revisit that one because I have not seen Space Jam very much. I've seen Looney Tunes Back in Action far more than that. But yeah, we're not out of the 90s. Last week, we reviewed Air Force One. That came out in 1997. This came out the year before in 96. And as Alan talked about in Your Guide to Space Jam, this was one of the highest grossing movies of 96. Very popular in the US, very popular worldwide. While it wasn't exactly original to see a live action person interact with animated characters, um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit came out in 88. Uh, the other one that I thought of was Cool World, the Ralph Bakshi film with Brad Pitt came out in 1992. So mm-hmm. there has been this type of thing done before. But as for a kid's film, those other two aren't kid's films. This one is a kid's film appealing to, you know, sports fans, to kids, Looney Tunes fans, families. It's interesting. Alan and I weren't very old when this movie came out. Um Alan would have been 10 months and 10 days old. I would have been right. one year, nine months and four days old. This film came out 24 years, seven months and four days ago. Very, very close to the 25th anniversary, actually, for this film. Um, the second one didn't quite hit the 25th anniversary, but it got pretty close, I would say. But listeners, before we get too far into the review, I do want to call your attention to the description down below. The first link is your guide to Space Jam, so go ahead and listen to that first. And then, of course, if you want to hear last week's review of Air Force One, another 90s review, that link will be there as well. We do have links to our letterbox profiles where you can see our ratings, our reviews of other movies that we watch throughout the week. Also, we are on all major podcast platforms, so we have links to all of those platforms. If you're looking to find us where we are on those platforms, we're very easy to find with those links. Of course, links to our Facebook, Twitter, and official website. And of course, our Patreon page. If you want to hang out with us over there, you want to interact with us, do a one-on-one. That's the place to go. We have some great bonus content over there on Patreon for you to check out. And of course, if you're ready to just jump straight into the review, we do have timestamps or if you want to just know what our rating and recommendation is already, we have those timestamps for you to check out. We always put those in every review to make it easy for you to jump around wherever you want to throughout the podcast. Of course, there is a link to the entire schedule of 2021 so you can see what's coming out. There is a countdown feature to tell you how many days until the episode comes out so you can make sure to watch that movie. 
before the episode comes out and then you can you know listen along with us here and talk about it with us in that way because you will have seen the movie beforehand that's very helpful feature we've been wanting to implement for a while so now it's there and then of course we always have a curated selection of podcasts that we have re- of movies that we have reviewed we curate that list to fit it kind of with this episode we we pull out episodes we think would go along well with this so that way once you're done listening we definitely encourage you to go sort through the archives and check those out but we do already curate a list we do that for every episode we curate specific lists of movies we think you'll want to listen to our review of after this one so there's tons of stuff in the description below it's not just a description of the episode those show notes are really rich with tons of stuff so make sure to check those out every episode there's always something down there so corbin we were talking about this a little bit pre-show um and we've kind of come to the realization that for both of us, it had been a bit since we've seen Space Jam. So how long has it been for you exactly? It has been 20 years exactly. I saw this oh. in <laughs> I saw this in 2001 at he's kind of a friend's house. I was six years old. I was living in Texas at the time. And uh, that would have been, what, five years after this movie was released. The mm-hmm. My he was kind of a friend he wasn't like very good friend but he did have it on vhs i don't remember a dang thing about this movie i just remember Mm -hmm. he was super excited to have space jam on vhs and he wanted to pop it on and he i was half interested he was also trying to teach me how to play uno i'm a six-year-old i have no idea how to play uno so i don't remember i don't remember a thing about this movie (laughs) (laughs) that's so funny because it's been a number of years for me too right but i remember but I have a lot of nostalgia for this movie and I forgot how much I actually remembered until I started watching it. Uh, For me, it's probably been about 15 years, I think. Um, I used to watch this all the time in my babysitters when I was in elementary school, Uh like all the time. Hmm. Um, So I've seen this a good chunk of times, but it has been a long while since I last revisited it. Uh, So the trailer though, did you, did you ever, Remember seeing this trailer um, back when you were a kid or any time after that? You know, I don't remember the trailer. Definitely not when it came out. And even for the VHS release, I vaguely remember it really being talked about. I mean, we're both 90s kids. This is kind of a 90s cultural touchstone for 90s kids, I would say. I just didn't remember this trailer. Um, But seeing the trailer as an adult... I was kind of surprised at first. The first part of the trailer, like the music is kind of creepy. seemed really off tone. But then, you know, I think it looks funny. It's definitely something I would take my younger brothers-in-law to. They're very little. I mean, I personally Mm. wouldn't go seek it out ever. Um, My wife didn't want to watch this movie with me at all. So it just definitely looks like it's made for families. And it really does look like... A 90s time capsule. I mean, it's Michael Jordan and Bugs Bunny. It just really couldn't be made any other time and doesn't quite make sense outside of any other time unless you have nostalgia for that, I would say. Right. Yeah, this has definitely um, become a bit of a meme in recent years. So for me, I mean, I don't remember this trailer at all. I very well probably never watched the trailer for this. Um, But something 
kept me coming back to this movie when I was a kid. Uh, I've watched, like I said, I, I I don't know how many times I've seen it, but it's probably in the double digits, I would think, when I was a kid. Um, it's been a long time since then, of course. I would say, I mean, I'm guessing I probably would probably try to seek it out uh, if I was a kid in the theater. Uh, we'll see if I could actually be successful in that endeavor. Um, but as an adult, probably not. I would probably see this as more of a cash grab from the trailer itself and probably wouldn't think much about it since then. Um, so if I was a kid, probably more likely if I was an adult seeing it in 1996. No, if I was a baby back in 96, which I was, I definitely <laughs> didn't see it because I was too young, too ripe of a person to go watch a movie like that and understand it. Yeah, I mean, I should say if I was a child in, I mean, I was a child in 96, but if I was old enough to coherently watch something at the movie theater, like six and up, then yeah, I think I would want to go see this movie. I think it looks fun enough based on the trailer. I guess the other thing that I forgot to comment about real quick is weird to release this mid-november doesn't make a lot of sense for that release date yeah they i think they were kind of maybe going for a thanksgiving release ish um yeah i guess that's true about a week or so before Hmm. uh uh thanksgiving but you're right it is an interesting tactic to put it out in november yeah well, it's a good thing they didn't put it out during thanksgiving because disney crushed it with 101 dalmatians Mm -hmm. (laughs) but um Okay, Alan, I do have to ask, though, before we get too far, did you watch this in high definition or standard definition? This uh, was on HBO Max, so high definition. Okay, because I watched the 25th anniversary trailer for the 4K Blu-ray, which is already out by the time you're listening to this review. The image quality is cleared up incredibly well. It looks very new, actually. I personally watched the Mm -hmm. film in standard definition. That's just the copy that I own. It looked kind of old. I mean, it did look like they just straight printed it out of the 90s. Um, But I would be curious to see it in 4K. I mean, the trailer looked, the the quality of how they cleaned it up looked night and day difference. I was shocked. So... Now yeah. I want you to watch standard definition, Alan, and see what see what you think. <laughs> if my memory serves me correctly, is uh, definitely not as crisp uh, <laughs> as a 1080p render would be. Yeah, uh, but I would love to see it in 4K, definitely. Well, listeners, if you have not seen Space Jam and you don't want the film spoiled for you, go ahead and click pause right now. As Alan said, it is streaming on HBO Max. The 4K Blu-ray just dropped six days ago, so it's readily available for you to go and check out. Once you've watched the film, come back here and click play and we'll be ready to talk about it. The year is 1993. Basketball star Michael Jordan is announcing his retirement from the sports team after the death of his father and begins to pursue a career in baseball. Meanwhile, in the depths of outer space, an alien amusement park owner owned by Swaghammer is having a hard time with customers and he wants a new attraction. He wants the Looney Tunes. Swaghammer sends his four minions to capture the tunes. They attempt to do just that, but are offered a deal from Bugs Bunny, beat them in a basketball game, and they will do what they ask, thinking that it will be an easy victory for the tunes. The aliens agree, but they pull a trick out of their sleeve and steal the talents of other basketball players, making them the Monstars. Now, seeing that they are in trouble, Bugs captures Michael Jordan while he is playing golf with his friends, Bill Murray and Larry Bird. Confused and disoriented, they convince Jordan to help them. 
It's the day of the game, Toon Squad versus the Monstars. The Toons are destroyed in the first half, but begin to gain the confidence during halftime to come back in the third quarter. Jordan even raises the stakes during timeout, offering himself as well to Swaghammer. The Monstars then play a bit dirtier, and it's a sure loss for the Toon Squad going into the fourth quarter, and now that they're down a player. That is, until Bill Murray himself enters the game to fill the court. In the final 10 seconds, Michael Jordan scores the winning slam dunk right as the clock hits zero. The Monstars give the stolen talents back to the players, and Michael returns to basketball. The end. So immediately, I am given hope in these opening credits because I see this film is produced by none other than Ivan Reitman, who we have watched his film Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters 2. He's done, mm-hmm. he, he was prolific in the 90s and he's done stuff since, but I particularly know him from Ghostbusters 2. He's worked with Bill Murray a lot, which explains why Bill Murray is in this movie. I think Bill Murray even kind of breaks the fourth wall at the end and they're like, why are you here? And he says, I know the producer. And which is true. Oh, He's yeah. Friends with Ivan Reitman. That that gave me hope. Yeah. And th- the fun fact here, too, uh, I didn't bring it up in the background because it kind of, I guess, contains spoilers. Um, <laughs> long story short, Bill Murray was only supposed to be in one scene, and that's the scene when they're golfing together. Yeah. Uh, then he went up to Joe Pigtown. He was like, hey, I want to be in the final scene. Um, and so they said, Okay, and so <laughs> he got put in the final uh, basketball scene, and that's why he just kind of randomly shows up uh, at the very end of the story. And then I guess that also kind of was why he says the line, I know the producer too. So yeah, that's a little bit of a fun fact there. Uh, he originally was not going to be in the final scene. Oh. But there, you're right. I think that there is a lot of fourth wall breaking in this movie. Um very intentional, very intentional fourth wall breaking in this movie. Yeah. And I mean, this movie is kind of nodding and winking at us in some aspects as well. I mean, they're putting starring Michael Jordan and then they put next starring Bugs Bunny as if he is a Mm -hmm. real creation when in fact he's not. But I'm kind of interested in this world building here, if you could call it that, because we kind of have the real physical world. Then we have a planet that's run by these creepy like bug creatures called Moron Mountain. And then within our world, you have to like tunnel to like, what do you want to call it? The center of the u- center of the world is just weird Warner Brothers, you know, I don't even know what to say. It's like a Warner Brothers trampoline that you have to punch through. And then you're into the world of Looney Tunes as if it's a real world within our world, but it's still also televised on TV and Moron Mountain. It's really weird. I don't know who thought up this script and up up this idea. <laughs> and of course, because it stars Michael Jordan, they just so happen to challenge the Bugs Bunny thinks of basketball. Just because Michael Jordan is in this movie, because of plot, they challenge them to a basketball game. But anyways, I did think it was kind of cool. We kind of have this autobiographical opening of young Michael Jordan and his dad, um, saying how he's going to play in North Carolina, which is true. And we kind of get this opening, which I thought was a nice touch. And Michael Jordan's, his family's kind of having a resurgence and in interest, I guess you could say in 2021, because they just mm-hmm. released the ESPN documentary, The Last Dance. I know that hit Netflix not that long ago about the dream right. team yep. of the Bulls. 
And also IMDb TV just released their own documentary moment of truth, which I watched. It's very good about the murder of Michael Jordan's father. Did you know his father was murdered, Alan? Yeah, I, I did. Um, I know that he was murdered and that it was his murder that also like helped, you know, make his or solidify his decision to retire from basketball originally in 93. Um, but yeah, I did read that his father was murdered uh, a few months before he made that decision. Yeah. Um, and he, they even kind of address it here, how it recreates his retirement speech, which I thought was very interesting. Glad his father, he said mm -hmm. he's glad his father got to see him play his last game. And I'm kind of surprised um, this movie opens with his baseball career, not his basketball career. And he kind yep. of has to get back into it. I thought that was actually kind of a clever idea. Yeah. So what they're going for here, and, and Joe picked that, um, this is kind of the whole premise of the story, uh, is to kind of show what was going on with Michael Jordan, not like really what's going on but like kind of poking fun at you know this is what really happened kind of thing um <laughs> between michael jackson michael jackson michael jordan's retirement uh in 93 and then hopping into baseball and then going back to ba to basketball in 95 it's like that it's like meant to tell the story of you know this is the adventure that he went on between those years of his retirement from basketball oh. of course it's you know a complete joke right uh, but that's what the premise i guess of or i guess why this movie kind of exists in a way is it's meant to be that kind of that kind of a thing oh okay see i had no idea that's what they were going for i could i mean they're clearly basing it in real events but i didn't know yeah. they're trying to give it as the untold story that's kind of funny and i mean it's kind of clever also and they are kind of poking fun at how he wasn't that great at baseball, even though he grew up playing baseball and basketball, he was very good at both. Mm. But ultimately, he chose basketball, but he did actually get to play in the MLB as well, which is really cool. Um, yeah, right. I, I just know what movie I'm in, though, through these opening credits. I mean, they have 90s written all over them. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love it. I love the 90s, but it's just like only in the 90s could you find opening credits like this. Right. No, you're absolutely right. And these credits go on for a long time. <laughs> I think that for they the last song. the entire length of that song. Yeah. Yeah. You no, know, exactly. They go on forever. Like I was thinking, okay, now it's going to end. Nope. Okay, we're doing the chorus again. Fine. Uh, it, I don't know how long they go on for exactly, but it feels like it's like, seven or eight minutes almost it's a long time for these opening credits way too long if you ask me well i have a theory as to why that is i think it's because this movie is 88 minutes long and they need to pad the runtime first of all because when the film ends it doesn't even clock in at an hour and a half so if you factor in opening credits mm -hmm. and closing credits you're looking at a movie that's like an hour and 10 minutes or something it's crazy it's short. Yeah, I, I think you're right. This is a an incredibly short movie. Um, you know, given, I guess, I, mean, I guess it kind of makes sense because it's made for kids mm -hmm. and it's meant to be like, you know, almost blink and you miss it kind of a thing. But you're right. No, this is uh, a movie that uh, definitely feels at times, especially with those credits, that's trying to pad the runtime, uh, like with the opening credits. Um, and then, of course, you still got the ending credits. Which almost is almost like it's just redundant at that point to have credits again when you've already you know gone through the in the opening, um, but you're right it is closer to an hour and ten minutes when you pull out those two pieces, um, 
So yeah, and I mean, I and I kind of get it too. Um, you know, they're like I said, they're kind of this is very much a kid focused kind of film, um, but it is weirdly short. Not even an hour and a half with the credits involved. It's like an hour and twenty seven or something like that. One of the names that did catch my attention in the opening credits, aside from Bugs Bunny, is this film was composed by James Newton Howard, who. Yep probably hadn't done a whole lot at that point he would go on to work a lot with Shyamalan which I we've reviewed all of Shyamalan's films up to this recording so that's where I primarily know him from I mean I've seen a lot of other movies with him as well I I gotta say I don't Mm -hmm. think his score really makes much of an impact it almost seems like there isn't a score in this movie it's mostly just covers of older songs but did that catch your attention too I was really surprised yeah I did not realized that he was in this movie that he scored the movie um i but you're right there isn't really much of a score anyways to this this film Mm -mm. it's mostly you know covers of songs or uh taking actual pop songs and using them in the movie it's mostly that kind of a thing it's mostly soundtrack that uh instead of you know being a original score there is some it's kind of hard to find i tried to look for the score and i didn't wasn't didn't have much luck. It's mm-hmm. mostly just routing to the soundtrack. So I suspect that there probably wasn't a one that was published. Um, yeah. At least from the few minutes that I looked for one. So you're right. Uh, having a big name last onto this is pretty surprising. Uh, but there really, really wasn't um, much to it. Yeah. And I... I didn't I didn't go back and look up what he had done before this. My guess is probably not much. But... I mean, in just a couple years, he would work with Shyamalan and score The Sixth Sense. And then from there, Shyamalan was, I don't want to be rude, but maybe his meal ticket of sorts, where Shyamalan continually worked with him. And then he really became, you know, not really the biggest composer or even the most famous. There's plenty of other ones we've reviewed and talked about, but definitely his name popped up and I noticed it. Um You know, we've kind of been talking a little bit about the creativity of the concept so far. It's a very kind of strange concept, honestly. The one thing that stuck out to me that I did like at least is if they're going to just make this a basketball theme. I like that these creatures from the other planet steal the skills of real life basketball players like Charles Barkley and a bunch of other ones that I didn't know, but they're all in the credits. Um, you know, I thought that was kind of a good idea to steal their powers and then that somehow transforms them into these crazy looking monsters, which I do like their character design of the monsters. I, I think monsters is a really dumb name anyways, but at least they're going with something more so creative as far as that goes, I would say. Yeah, yeah, because most of the time, especially when you're dealing with the Looney Tunes, you know, you're you're already using like pre-existing designs of characters uh, there really isn't much of anything about them that's super modern they really didn't do much to modernize them I, I don't think um necessarily at least with the looney tunes so you're right you know you're already working with a pre-made template at that point so it is kind of fun to have to like introduce different characters into the same world of the looney tunes that you do get to spend a little bit more time and you know be creative with it kind of get it within the same style of you know Looney Tunes, but 
your own kind of spin on it. So yeah, you're right. It is uh, definitely a little bit more creative, a bit more creativity in this movie um, when it comes to you know it's 2D work uh, and it's characters there where you're not you know not really dealing with a pre-made template already. You can have a little bit more of creativity for something else. Yeah, that was good. We got all new characters in this movie, not just the Looney Tunes, the animated characters. And as far as the live action characters go, Wayne Knight, I think is always funny. We've reviewed him in Jurassic Park as, yep. I don't even remember his name. I just remember he plays Newman on Seinfeld and Seinfeld was huge in the 90s. And so everybody oh, would yeah. have probably recognized him, at least whoever had watched Seinfeld. He's a funny addition as Michael Jordan's like handler or personal assistant. It's just kind of weird. It's kind of funny. Um, I was so happy to see how much Bill Murray was in this movie, actually, um, because he has such funny lines. I mean, and then it's really funny at the end. Um, the other one I didn't ever see his name in the opening credits was Danny DeVito is the yep. creepy, sleazy alien boss. It's really funny when Bill Murray comes into play at the end and Danny DeVito says, what? I didn't know Dan Aykroyd was here. And I thought that was hilarious. Yep. <laughs> yep. There are a few pretty funny lines in this. That's definitely one that got a chuckle out of me. Of course, when I was a kid, I didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> um, but now after seeing, you know, Ghostbusters, and like you mentioned, the producer of Ghostbusters is also producing this movie uh -huh. along with bill murray being cast in it so it all kind of comes full circle i suppose right um but yeah no it's one this is also kind of a movie where there are a lot of things that you know for a kid just flies right over their head like i didn't know they got dan Aykroyd in this picture was definitely you know one of them mm -hmm. um i had another one written down let me go find it real quick and we'll talk about this in a bit but i'm not into basketball at, like at all um so I know that there might be some in-jokes um, when it comes to these basketball stars that have then lost their talents because of the Monstars. Um, but there is a line from one of them. I don't know his name, but he's like, he's in the church and he's like praying. And he's like, I promise I'll never get another technical again. Mm -hmm. Is what he says. That, was that got funny. a laugh out of me too. That one got a laugh out of me. Um, when one of them's, Okay, when they're not, when they're refusing to gear up and play and go out onto the court mm -hmm. and the coach is like, that that's in another state, it's fine. One of their comebacks is, it could be invasion of the body snatchers. Um, oh, yeah. That yeah. one got a chuckle out of me. Anything Bill Murray said was funny um, when he's like telling Michael Jordan, oh, I can't play basketball is because I'm white, isn't it? And he's like, Larry's white. <laughs> yeah. He said, Larry's not white. He's clear um that's right yeah daffy ducks um entrance onto the court got just crickets like it was totally silent that did make me laugh and then of course um bill murray at the very end was saying that could have been me when michael jordan makes his comeback and bill murray says that could have been me like just being cheered lauded for making a basketball comeback and larry says bill let it go it, it, that's pretty funny, I thought, as well. So there is some laughs to be had in here for adults. I do appreciate, at least in this kid's film, they put in some references that adults could identify with. There's not a whole lot, but what is here is appreciated because um, they they could have just not put any in it at all. Yeah, yeah. I know the one that got me howling as a kid was, it's. I think it's, 
yeah, it's when the monsters, you know, at first they dominate, and then the new, the Toon Squad come, kind of comes back, and then the monsters start to dominate again. There's that, it's that one shot where uh, Daffy gets squashed by one of the monsters, mm-hmm. and he lifts his hand up, and he's like, just like a, like a blotch on his hand, <laughs> and his, Daffy's head pops out, and he goes, but mama, I don't want to go to school today. <laughs> I remember when that line came out, I laughed so hard as a kid. To that line that yeah. was what just killed me every time i watched that movie when i was a when i was a wee lad yeah there is some stuff in there that that i was surprised that i laughed at i wasn't mm-hmm. really expecting to laugh in this movie I didn't really think of it it was quite a comedy yeah um you know some of the usages of the cover songs i felt worked sometimes they didn't i mean there's kind of a montage there in the movie i don't think the music quite works during that i don't like it at all um, but the, when Michael Jordan has his basketball moment in the animated court and he's like, I don't know if I can even remember how to play basketball. And then he starts doing the dunking. It's kind of a slow motion montage. It's a cover of the Steve Miller band song, um, fly like an Eagle. thought that was good. Mm-hmm. I don't know where they got these song ideas from. I mean, um, fly like an Eagle. I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the other ones now. Um, I believe I can fly just uh, yep. where I don't know why they thought these were the right choices, but I liked them for the most part. Fly like an ego is kind of sappy at the, the end. 90s. Though. Yeah, it's the 90s. <laughs> and of course, you can't forget the one that like if this is probably one, one of the bigger memed up songs is the actual Space Jam song. Um, you know, the one everybody get up it's time to slam now. That one has been memed <laughs> to death, of course. Um, and that's kind of what, you know, I think it was made for this movie, I want to say. That's got to be made for it. Yeah, I mean, it's like talking about the song. Everybody do the Space Jam or something. I mean, yeah, I you're right. I wouldn't be surprised if it is. Uh, I've, I'll be, I'd probably bet money that it was, but I don't have, I didn't do any research on that part. <laughs> but either way, uh, it's pretty clear that music in terms of like pop songs and whatnot are pretty big influence on this movie it kind of helps like shape i guess what this week kind of really is um so yeah music is a big part of it it's also kind of funny last i looked at least when i found this album on apple music there's like three songs that you can play everything else is grayed out you can't play anything else i said just only three of them i thought that was pretty funny well it's all my positives (laughs) (laughs) i do have one thing to say uh when for another positive i guess um this movie at times is kind of impressive with how it blends 2D and 3D sometimes. Um, my big the big thing I go towards is I think one of the more complex scenes um, that they had to shoot, and that was when Daffy and Bugs are walking through the Jordan house. It's kind of impressive how they do that because uh, it's, you know, for the most part, from what we've seen up until this point was, you know, Michael Jordan is very clearly in a green screen room um, and they're just kind of animating, you know, those characters over him. This time it's the complete opposite. You know, it's in a live action environment and they have to animate those 2D characters on top of that. Um, so it it's that scene in particular is uh, technically pretty impressive, at least to me. Um, so I'm curious to see how they did it. I have an idea that it was probably dudes in green screen suits um but it technically is pretty impressive to me i completely agree i mean 
they do have an $80 million budget for Pete's sakes for a kind of kids family movie. And I'm sure, you know, they have to pay some of these big name stars as well. Part of mm -hmm. that budget when they were walking through the house that did look very good. And I'm sure in 4k, it's going to look gorgeous. Like I said, when I saw that 4k trailer, it looked like a br totally different movie. It looked like they yeah. completely re-rendered all the visual effects. They cleaned this up in such an incredible way. Um, Toy Story came out the year before this, and it had a $30 million budget. So there is quite a bit of difference in budget, but for that movie being fully 3D and this one mixing the two, I did check Who Framed Roger Rabbit came out in 88. It has a $70 million budget. And, you know, I'm sure the effects were quite improved by that point. Um, when I really kind of noticed it was kind of towards the end, actually, when they are playing the game on the court, um, I never was taken out of it too much. Just seeing kind of, um, I was kind of trying to look for that, like the depth of field when Bill Murray is ultimately leaving the game and he's walking away. They did a good job of having him look like he's actually in the environment. If you'll also notice, yeah. you'll look down and you can see his reflection and how the reflection is the proper color and image on the floor of the basketball court, even though it's fully animated. Um, so they did do a good job with the animation. I'll, I'll definitely give them that as well. Yeah. But that's where my positives end for this movie, unfortunately. There's a couple things. I can't quite get over how Bugs Bunny, I don't think really sounds like himself like the bugs bunny that i'm used to i understand yeah i understand there's nothing they could really do about that um but the biggest problem i have with this movie honestly is michael jordan can't act and i know we talked about yeah. in the guide they considered replacing him but i mean it's it, i just can't honestly separate michael jordan from space jam like that just wouldn't make any sense whatsoever and i get it he's not an actor he's a basketball player he just can't really express motion emotions very well. He is just incredibly wooden and not intriguing whatsoever. I just don't really care about his character at all. Yeah, that's kind of one of the big things about Space Jam is that your lead actor who's, you know, the big sports star and everything can't really act <laughs> um, or at least is pretty wooden the way that he comes off. So you're right. Uh, and part of it is that it's like, you know, a guilty pleasure kind of a thing where you know it's not great um and it's very clearly not you know super great either uh but the movie is just so bizarre and weird that you just kind of go with it it's just like it's almost <laughs> what makes space jam space jam so i'm with you i don't think he's a very good actor but at the same time i don't know what this movie would be like if we had somebody else uh who was a better actor um or it could fit the role better or whatever you know i don't know what that would be like it would be weird um i but i don't think it would be you know i don't think it would make space jam uh but i'm with you i'm absolutely with you his kids and his wife are a better actor than him in this movie like yeah it's just hard because danny devito has a great voice for the creature wayne knight is hilarious bill murray is playing with them as well bill murray's just a classic just class act you know when it comes to acting he's so good but michael jordan is just like the stick in the mud he's just right there in the middle of this movie it's just hard to see these very colorful animated looney tunes 
playing off of this guy that really doesn't have much of a personality in this movie. So that is definitely a disappointment for me. The other thing is the first 30 minutes don't really grip me. I would say like the first five to 10 minutes, I'm kind of pulled in by this weird concept we're going with here. But then mm-hmm. I realized 30 minutes in, it's just meandering. I'm just wondering, you know, what's Michael Jordan? He's just kind of wandering around in his life until he gets sucked down the golf hole. Then the plot kind of like actually starts to formulate. But otherwise, it's the Looney Tunes trying to figure out how to way to trick the bugs. The bugs are coming to Earth. And then Michael Jordan really has nothing of significance to do except realize he's not that great at baseball. First 30 minutes, boring. After 40 minutes, I realize this movie can't really keep my attention and I just have no idea where it's going to go. Yeah, I think if my memory serves me correctly, I pretty much always skipped to the point when Michael Jordan was sucked down the golf hole because the first few minutes are, like you mentioned, kind of boring. There really isn't much going on. Um, Of course, the animated sequences would get me more in as a kid, uh, but you know, there aren't a whole lot of them here in the opening um, until Michael gets sucked down the golf hole. That's when the movie, I think, really starts is at that moment. Um, that's what I feel is what makes Space Jam Space Jam, right? Uh, so you're right. No, this is also just kind of in general, the pacing of this movie is kind of weird. Um, for instance, uh, this, for instance, it just kind of feels really choppy. Oh, yeah. Through this whole movie, because we go from uh, I think it's yeah, it's right from his speech of his, his retirement speech to I think it's him playing baseball. Then we rock it up into space. We go and we show this uh, this, um, this alien amusement park. We talk about how we, we set up the fact that this guy Swaghammer wants a new amusement. He wants the Looney Tunes. We go back down to Earth. You know, it's it's just it happens all so fast, right? And maybe that's because Joe Picta isn't no, you know, used to making movies. He's mostly used to making short films, commercials, uh, things of that nature, and translating that to films a completely different medium. Um, when you try to tell a story that's not, you know, pressed for time, um, so it's just got some weird pacing all the way around it. Yeah, and I mean, this movie is also edited by Sheldon Kahn who is no stranger to editing movies. He edited One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which was huge, out of Mm. Africa. He did edit um, Ghostbusters 1 and 2. So it was no slouch when it comes to editing, but I think you're right. It isn't really quite the editing fault. I'm going to lay it all on Joe Pictus' feet because he doesn't really know how to direct a movie just because he directed some Pepsi commercials with the characters. They shouldn't have given him this movie at all. That was the wrong choice. He has no idea how to direct anybody on here or how to make a movie. I mean, if you think about it, Michael Jordan goes down the, what do you want to call it? The rabbit hole, the golf hole, 30 minutes into the movie, which somewhat brings Mm. an end to the first act, even though it's kind of too late. Honestly, it's an 88 minute movie factoring in credits. Michael Jordan should have went down that golf hole no more than 15 minutes into the movie, because at this point we're left with 53 minutes Minus credits, we're left with, I want to say, what, 40 plus minutes? And there's just yeah, not enough here halfway. to... Well, yeah, you're right. And it's shocking because there's not enough here to fill out this runtime to justify it being 
a theatrical film. Maybe a made-for-TV movie, but it, it is weird. I mean, I've wrote down a number of examples here that I just can't really wrap my head around. So when the monsters turn into the basketball monsters, that scene is so weird because it's very creepy and maniacal, but then they just kind of walk away. And then they just appear at the Looney Tunes training basketball court just to taunt them and then they disappear. And then it brings up the question, now that they have these newfound skills and look like this, why don't they just go be the entertainment on Moron Mountain? Um, right. Also, I, I can't get over the fact that Bugs Bunny just comes up with challenging them to play basketball, even though that has nothing to do with the Looney Tunes whatsoever, just because this is a movie made for Michael Jordan about basketball. It's just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. And this is... Uh, not a movie that is meant to be thought too hard about <laughs> uh, by any by any means. Um, this is definitely a film that uh, what we would call has the most airtight plot in the world, of course. Um, so yeah, no, you're right. No, you're absolutely right in all of that. Uh, this is uh, not exactly very well put together. Uh, it feels almost like things are just kind of the story at least, which is kind of slapped together. Oh, and yeah. then they just said, all right, animate on top of this. And so they did. <laughs> yeah. So, no, you're right. Not a whole lot in this movie makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, they definitely could have gone down, or they definitely have a lot of avenues, like you mentioned. Why basketball? Because they figure <laughs> basketball, would they could beat them pretty easily on it because they're small. Uh, okay. Like, that's <laughs> like the legitimate reason. And that's what kickstarts this whole plot. It's pretty weak. Yeah. Everything about this is pretty weak. It's all really weak. It's all really kind of frustrating, honestly, that they didn't try <laughs> and put a little more effort into this. They're just like, hey, it's a kid's movie. Who cares? We're going to make a killing off of it at the box office. Uh, just because it's Michael Jordan, everybody loves Michael Jordan. Oh, Wayne Bugs Bunny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put them together. It's going to do great. You know, I'm frustrated. We never get to see the Toon Squad practice together, really. I mean, the yep. game just happens. I'm like, Oh, it's time for the game now, I guess. And Michael's like, remember, just let's just have fun. And I'm like, well, no, you're kind of completely undermining the stakes that the Looney Tunes will be essentially sold into slavery to perform tricks for Moron Mountain. And he just wants to have fun. And I guess he makes a deal, too. Um, and I got to say, Alan, I'm pretty frustrated at the end when all it takes is mj saying why you take it from this guy all that all that it takes for the monsters to stand up to their creepy boss at the very end all that's, that's all he had to say because now they realize they're bigger and then you come to find out they actually want to be the looney tunes friends and i'm like what kind of a crap ending is this i mean <laughs> i get it I get it. It's a kid's film. I'm an adult. Yeah. It's not made for me. But don't undermine stuff like that at the very end of the movie. It's really not right <laughs> to do yeah. bad screenplay writing. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. Uh, the screenplay of this movie is not exactly like we've kind of been already talking about. It's not exactly, you know, a work of art necessarily. This is definitely, you know, meant for Michael Jordan to be on the same screen as the Looney Tunes, right? 
I mean, for crying out loud, how many times they say Warner Bros in this movie, like, and legitimately mean it is, I would say, very telling. Um, because, you know, of course they go through the Warner Bros, like, trampoline thing, like you mentioned, right? Whatever, not that big of a deal. Uh, but then later on down the line, Daffy makes a, a joke, I guess, that, you know, they're, we're the Looney Tunes, they were owned uh, by Warner Bros in, Incorporated and then kisses his butt, um, <laughs> which is... Kind of funny, I guess, and uh, I guess kind of proves my point. But either way, it, if and then you've also, I guess, also kind of branching off of this when it comes to you know who really owns this movie. Uh, I feel like a lot of people are kind of here for a paycheck. Um, Michael Jordan uh, is a, a different story, but you've also got you know all of the like the famous basketball players who can't really act either, um, and they're only there because they're big and they're famous and wouldn't it be funny uh if they all of a sudden lost their talents and they run with that joke for the entire runtime of the movie um and mm. honestly never once did i ever find it that funny um but it feels like that's you know the whole reason why that thing even exists why they took the talents is because uh oh it'd be kind of funny and you get paid for it or whatever uh big publicity stunt or something like that I would even go as far as to say, you know, for me, uh, Bill Murray, I know you have differing, thought, differing thoughts on his acting in this, but I always found Bill Murray to be kind of, you know, phoning it in for this movie. If He feels like he's trying to play Bill Murray and not like, you know, organically playing Bill Murray, which I guess is whatever because it's a kid's movie, but you get my point, right? Yeah, I, I guess it was just hard because in a sea of animated characters and no talent, Bill Murray was just the beacon of hope that I just had to latch on to for this movie. Like, I'll be honest, Bill Murray is what kind of made this movie semi like it, he's the really only thing I had a good, a good time with was just him being really facetious and kind of ridiculous in the few scenes that he was in. But the one thing that I have to mention before we give our ratings is going back to the editing i said sheldon khan was no slouch when it came to editing i don't know if this was his choice or not but it was like the one of the worst edits i've ever seen in a movie i actually had to rewatch it to make sure i didn't like just have like a aneurysm and i totally missed it yeah it, it is a terrible terrible edit it is during the um final basketball you know playoff game or whatever and it's when Yosemite Sam and one other character kind of become the men in black uh, and they pull yeah. their gun out and it's that whole song, dot, dot, ah, it's that, that song, I don't even remember what it's called. Yep. They shoot the guy's teeth out and then it's a hard cut to Michael like slow-mo dunking. It's shocking. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yep. I was, yep. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> I was uh, actually about to bring that up. Uh, but yeah, you're right. It's, um, if we're talking about you know, kind of making things feel a little bit choppy and uh, movie has some strange pacing and uh, weird <laughs> editing. I think that's a good exa a good example of uh, what we're, what I mean, what, what we're talking about. Yeah, you're right. It's uh, not a great edit. It's definitely uh, something that's, um, <laughs> you know, pretty noticeable, I would say. I couldn't even believe that made the final cut. So yep. atrocious. Yep. So I know one thing that people kind of rave on this movie for is uh, the character of Lola Bunny, um, mostly okay. that they're, you know, sexualizing a cartoon <laughs> bunny, more or they less. They definitely are. Uh, yeah. Did you have any thoughts on that? I'm just, I'm just genuinely curious. 
I mean, I'm a little shocked they go where they go with this being like a family movie or a kids movie. I know Mm. Bugs Bunny has always had a crush on her. I don't need a Lola Bunny Bugs Bunny makeout scene that we get. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I don't need her running around in her crop top and making eyes and having this weird, uh, yeah, weirdly sexualized. I mean, I get making her kind of an attractive figure to the cartoons, but to me, it's almost a little too much. And I'm like, okay, let's tamp it down here. Like this is a kid's movie. This is not who framed Roger rabbit. This isn't cool world. It's weird. Yeah, it is definitely weird. I'm with you. It's very, very strange. Um, And that was, I know definitely now I think it's more controversial. At least, at least I've seen more comments on it more lately, but you're right. It's definitely a weird decision. Uh, all that being said, so. Well, Alan, uh, I'm curious because I know you have far more nostalgia for this movie than I do. But I'm curious now that you're, you know, 25, what is your rating and recommendation for Space Jam? Space Jam is not a good movie. <laughs> uh, I think that's, you know, pretty obvious from the way that we have been discussing you know it's not one that i definitely hold in uh or not one that i think is you know anything super great i do have a lot of nostalgia with this and it was a lot of fun coming back to this movie because it is just weird it's just kind of wacky right um there are a lot of things about this movie that in in reality that they they really shouldn't work but in some ways they kind of do right i think a good example of this is michael jackson michael jackson michael jordan um (laughs) he's not a good actor he's just not a good actor right but it's that stilted wooden kind of presence that he brings to the character of michael jordan which is himself in this movie uh, that just kind of makes uh space jam in a way it's that weird kind of thing where it's it's kind of hard to say that it's you know so bad that it's good it's not i don't think it's essentially that level uh, it's kind of a, on a different plane where it's got elements to it that are technically very impressive uh like the 2d and 3d animation that are, go along with it or 2d and 3d 2d and live action mix of footage right very impressive but there's a lot of things about it that uh, honestly uh, are not good. Uh, editing, as we recently talked about, is another one of those things. Uh, a lot of actors in this movie that come in that are pretty much here for a paycheck do get the idea. Space Jam is not a very good movie. But it's also kind of an enigma in a lot of ways. Because, like I said, in reality, it, it shouldn't work at all. But it, in some ways, kind of does. At least for me. So I'm going to give Space Jam... A four out of ten, but I'm still gonna give it a recommend. It's a movie that, um, like I said, shouldn't work. Sometimes does. Space Jam has '90s smeared all over it, from the music to the animation to the wardrobe. I mean, I love these aspects. I'm nostalgic for the '90s. I mean, I'm a '90s kid after all. It was a great decade to be a kid, and I'm glad to be a part of half of it. Unfortunately, this movie didn't have the appeal for me I was hoping for. The wild opening credits, the multiple worlds, and MJ's waning baseball career was funny, but 30 minutes in, I realized this movie is bland. There's really not a plot here. There's a mild emphasis on basketball, and the conclusion seemingly undermines the entire plot. 
It's also just a little too sappy for my tastes. I didn't have much expectations for this movie, but what little I did were quickly dribbled away. If you have nostalgia for this movie, then I understand why you still may love it as an adult, but this MJ slash Looney Tunes mashup is, at its best, a children's movie. Space Jam receives four stars out of ten with a solid not recommend. Interesting. We have the same rating, but completely opposite almost reasons why in some ways. Yes. And it should be said that you usually don't give a four, Alan, and you recommend it, but only on special occasions or for a specific reason would you give that low of a rating and still recommend a movie. Yeah. No, yeah, exactly. It's it's a movie that I feel like you almost have to see um, before you get too old. Um <laughs> But it's also a movie that is just not good. <laughs> no. Not not at all. But you did technically recommend this movie, even though you've got a lot of issues with it. Would you still pick it up or would you pass? Honestly, I think I would. Uh, I, I almost did a while back. Uh, the Blu-ray was like real cheap. Like I could get it at one point for like like six bucks or something like that. And I passed on it. Um, I figured, oh, I'll get it at some point. And now the price has shot up to about $15. Actually, no, I think I get it for 10, but the 4K is coming out for 20, which I think I'm going to go for instead. Um, so, yes, I will eventually pick this up on Blu-ray. Um, I saw the 1080 uh, P render or transfer on HBO Max. looks very good. I'm very excited for the 4K version. So, yes, eventually I'll pick it up. You know, in some ways, this is a piece of 90s memorabilia, so I am glad to already have it in my collection. It was a free Flickster movie that I got in standard definition. So, mm. listeners, for those of you who listened to Air Force One last week, that's what I was referring to about my free Flickster movies. Um, otherwise, I wouldn't buy this movie unless I saw it at Dollar Tree. I would be very curious, though, to rewatch it in 4K. I will say that. I want to see the difference because just from that trailer, that enough would get me to rewatch the film in Ultra HD. But I do own the movie digitally. I don't own the physical copy in SD. That's good enough for me. So I got it for free. I, so I got. I guess I got that. <laughs> so now that you've seen Space Jam, anything that you would recommend? Uh, listeners wouldn't problem uh, listeners to watch after watching Space Jam. Yeah, I did have a number of recommendations here. I decided to go back to 1996 to see what other family movies or comedies that I liked better than this one from the same year. So my first recommendation is going to be Jack, which is a Robin Williams movie. I think it is a fit. Robin Williams does fantastic. I totally believe he's like 10 years old. It's a really fun movie. I believe it's on mm -hmm. Disney Plus. Um, I'm also going to be recommending Matilda, which, according to the users of Letterboxd, is the most popular family movie of 96. Space Jam is actually second. Matilda, Danny DeVito is in that. I always had so much fun watching Matilda. Um, of course, I'm going to re be recommending Jingle All the Way. That one really only works around Christmas time, but if you haven't seen it, check it out at Christmas. I don't know if I can totally recommend this one, but... I'm going to be recommending Kazam, which is another NBA starring kids film. That one is Shaq as the genie. I just oh, know yeah. um, Chris Duckman did a hilariosity over that. That's one of those movies where people think 
it was actually called Shazam. One of those movies where they, I don't know what it's called, but people have some weird memories that, you know, the government actually changed the title of it. I don't know. Anyways, I'm also going to be recommending for my final one, James and the Giant Peach, which is also a bizarre live action slash animation hybrid from the director of The Nightmare Before Christmas. So those mm. are my recommendations. I only have one, um, Osmosis Jones. It's oh, yeah. also, uh, yep, also a blend of 2D and three, uh, 2D and live action. Um, not to this extent from my memory. It's been a while since I've seen this one too, but that's what I'm going to recommend is Osmosis Jones. Uh, I actually haven't seen James and the Giant Peach. I, I've been needing to and I want to, but I've never gotten around to it. I didn't realize that was to uh i didn't realize that was animation and live action combination um so i'll check that out yeah it's kind of like the nightmare before christmas type stop motion animation it's mm -hmm. very interesting so another one i was not allowed to watch as a kid but definitely check it out yeah so it's kind of weird that it took so long to get a sequel but we did technically get another Looney Tunes movie before that. We got one almost seven years later. We got Looney Tunes back in action with Brendan Fraser and Steve Martin and mm -hmm. Timothy Dalton. I've seen this movie a lot. It did um, came out in um, November 14th, 2003. I don't know why they're sticking with those November release dates, but it was six years, 11 months, and um, 30 days. So that, that was interesting. I have seen that one a few times, but it has been so long. I did not watch that one nearly as often as uh, Space Jam. But there were, there were plans to make a sequel to Space Jam since 96. Uh, that wasn't what ended up becoming... Uh, Looney Tunes back in action. Um, mm. Long story short, there were plans to have a new villain called Berserko to challenge <laughs> the tunes. Uh, Joe Pickett was going to come back. Michael Jordan, they want Michael Jordan to come back, and he said no, and that was into that. Essentially, <laughs> <laughs> uh, after he said no, the entire project was scrapped until 2014 when, you know, of course, Space Jam and Legacy was going to come out, and we'll talk about that in a future date. But... Before we get to the new new Space Jam with the new legacy, we do have to go through, like you mentioned, Looney Tunes back in action. So I'm curious to see what next week's going to hold. I haven't seen that movie for a long time, like I said. Yeah, it's been very long for me as well. I remember I used to own it on VHS, well, my family did. So mm -hmm. watched it frequently. I even tried to watch it just maybe like two years ago, I want to say at this point, a year ago. I don't know. Just be like, hey, I, I remember that one. Like, just pop it back on. Um, I never got to finish it back then. So I don't believe I have any rating for it that I could reference. Just have my memories, just have my feelings from when I watched it as a kid. We're going to be watching it with the SSG goggles on, though. So we're going to be treating it like any other movie. <laughs> we are not going to hold back nostalgia or not. But just want to say this real quick because I'm a nerd and I like numbers. It took 24 years, eight months, and one day for Space Jam 2 to come out. So audiences hmm. had to wait a little, little while, you could say. A long time. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Just a quarter of a century is all. All right, listeners. Well, the question after the show is, would you rather be Michael Jordan 
We'll send Michael Jackson there again. Or live with the Looney Tunes. It's a tough one because, I mean, if you're Michael Jordan, then you're like, you know, you're a superstar. Um, but if you're a Looney Tune, then you can essentially do anything you want and not have many rep repercussions. You know, I think I would rather live with the Looney Tunes because I think I just like the animation of their world, especially the old ones. They have some really unique locations. So if anything, mm. I would rather just live in those locations and I'd get a real kick out of watching them go crazy. If I had to live yeah. there forever, though, I'd probably go crazy. Yeah, that's my thing is now you get into the existential crisis part of it <laughs> where do you ever die? You know, that kind of a thing. That's a discussion for another time. So, listeners, definitely want to come back next week because we'll be continuing our Space Jam retrospective or I guess Looney Tunes and live action retrospective. It doesn't matter. Either way, next week we're going to be with uh, Brendan Fraser and Steve Martin uh, with and the Looney Tunes themselves in Looney Tunes Back in Action. So we'll see you then, listeners. Hey listeners, it's Corbin. Don't forget to check out the exciting links in the description below that will connect you with more great movie reviews for your listening pleasure and our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter page. And of course, our official website where you can read great articles and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Also, if you want exclusive bonus content such as extra movie reviews, movie commentaries, and our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, plus more, then check out our Patreon page. It's a great way to help keep this show free, and it gives you great content that's yours to keep. All of that and more is found in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe whether you're on YouTube, Apple, Google, or Stitcher, or your favorite podcast service. And while you're at it, please leave us a five-star review so other movie lovers can more easily find our podcast. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. So don't forget to share with your friends and family, and we'll see you next week, listeners. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide. Confused and disoriented, they confuse Jordan to help them. Confuse. That's not right. <laughs> there, there's quite a bit of a... Sorry, bug was right on the microphone. <laughs> you know, boring guy, unfortunately. Uh, one second. Yeah. No, I don't want to renew my security thing right now. Gosh. <laughs> so it could have kept recording, but I don't know if it did. So I'm just going to re-say what I just said. But Is for Michael Jackson to be on the same screen as the Looney Tunes. It is, feels Jordan. more like a... Yeah, Michael Jordan. Yeah. Oh, I keep doing that. <laughs>